Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message from our guest minister. Thanks for tuning in today. Bring a Bible with you at all? Is that a yes? yes. Say, yes, sir, I got one. Praise God. Proverbs 22, come on. Hallelujah. Proverbs 22. What are you going to teach on, Brother Barclay? Things you need for the day ahead. I'm thoroughly convinced that most of the body of Christ is totally unprepared for the disaster, the attack, and the flood that's imminent upon us. Though you hear little warnings of it, it's real easy to pass off warnings. I think of the guy that was, he's in, a, he's in his family car, station wagon, and he had his family and there, his kids, his wife. They're going on vacation somewhere. And they go down this road and there's a sign that says, the bridge is out, detour in one mile. So he drives along, sees the sign, detour here. He keeps going. His wife says, what are you doing? Well, I, I, I just don't believe that sign. There's got to be a way through this. So he keeps going. Pretty soon, another mile, there's a sign with flashing red lights on it. The bridge is out. This is your last chance to turn off. He plows through. Now his kids are trying to lead their dad. Dad, what are you doing? Did you see that sign? Yeah, but they always post signs like that. That's what sign posters do. That's what they get paid. Don't worry about it. I got this under control. And before you know it, whoo, kaploosh. Down in the drink they go because the bridge is out. Golly gee, Gomer. If you're under 40, don't worry about that Gomer thing. <laughs> so I get to see some young people say, who's Gomer? <laughs> we have a Gomer that goes here? I hope not. <laughs> here in Proverbs 22, let's read this together. Uh, follow me along. Verse 3. A prudent man foreseeth the evil. Now the word prudent means a man or woman who has wisdom mm -mm 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 -mm, and uses it. You can be jam-packed with knowledge and wisdom and not live accordingly. But a prudent person is one who does. Okay? A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Listen to this in one of the modern versions. A prudent person foresees the danger ahead and takes precautions. And the simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. My question to you would be simple today. Which one are you? Do you see the danger out here? Do you see the imminent World War III that's accumulating? Do you understand that, that you know, I may look as old as Jed Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies, or if you're under 40, don't worry, let's see, under, what can I say over 40? So, uh, but when I went to school, there's no school shootings. There were no school shootings when I went to school. As a matter of fact, I took my shotgun, because my family were hunters, put it in a cloth case and with a bow, no lock, with a vest full of shells and my hunting license. On the school bus. Now you really think I'm born in the sticks. Ask the school bus driver, uh, do you wanna, want me to leave it up here, sir, or take it on the bus? No, Mark, you know not to load it on the bus, right? Of course, sir. You just take it back in the seat. and I would ride the bus to school. Get off the school bus, go in the office, because they didn't want you to carry a shotgun around the classes, you know. Because you, wait a minute, because you couldn't carry that in your books. They never thought we would shoot each other. It never occurred to them that we have a safety issue here. Seriously. Now you're looking like I'm 200 years old. Wow, you and Paul Revere, right, Brother Barkley? This is one of those, I walked to school barefooted in three feet of snow. You kids got it made in the shade. No, this is the gospel truth. I check it in the office after school. I go pick it up, go on a different school bus, go out to my grandpa's, and I could hunt, you know, like until uh, till dark, and then reverse it this, the next day to go to school. My family was never turned in on the uh, terrorist list. 
Uh, we were never investigated. I was never told ever, never in all the years growing up as a teenager not to do it. No one ever got hurt. I never loaded it on the bus. We never had the devil in school until you and I allowed them to kick our God out. You see, murder is immorality. It's not a gun. I got a whole safe full of guns. Sorry if you hate me for that. Uh, and I've never once heard a noise in the night of rattling metal. I said, Vicky, what is that? Or Vicky said, what is that? I said, it's the guns. <laughs> they want to kill me. I got to go open the safe. Cain had no gun. He was a murderer. Outlaw everything. Knives, stones, sticks. And until you fix the moral issue, and until the church rises up and quits flirting with immorality, you'll never fix the moral. And until the modernist preachers get their act together and realize that our future's at stake, and so is our, uh, so is our, our countries, then you won't resolve this. So back to my question. Are you a wise, prudent Christian, or are you a foolish Christian? Hey, just so I don't put you on the spot and make you feel bad after such a beautiful Christmas thing last night, let's move on. So what precautions are you taking that your kids won't turn out to be on drugs even though man has legalized some of them? And what precaution do you take that your child might turn out to be sexually perverted when the Bible's strictly clear about what is and what isn't perverted in the eyes of God? What precautions do you take that a terrorist does not come into your house? That's, that's what this verse says. The wise person says, I see the evil, I see the terrorism, I see the sexual perversion, I see the parading of rebellion, I see the, I see the it's happening all around us. Are you kidding me? So what precaution? Let me modernize this. What are you doing about it? Or are you just, every day, you just kick the can down the road a little further? Well, it ain't all that bad. I mean, praise God, we all love Jesus, and Jesus loves us. It's kind of quiet in this church right now. Mark to heaven, mark to heaven. I think I've killed another congregation. Hey, listen, at home a while back, I was preaching really good. At least I thought I was. I mean, there was nobody breathing. And so I, uh, I had to tell that we're a national television minister. I had to tell the television audience, you know, folks, these are not mannequins. <laughs> now, they don't breathe. They don't move. They don't say amen. They just stare at me. But we did not rob the wax museum last night. Luke chapter 21. What are you doing, Doc? My duty in God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I just had this massive leadership meeting. I, can't, I don't know. There was, I can't remember, two or three hundred preachers there and a bunch of believers. And one of the, one of the preachers said, you know, uh, but you know, Brother Barclay, you understand, but you're from that older generation. I said, well, let's talk about that in a minute. Now, let's see, the old school. We didn't ordain homosexuals. We didn't allow pedophiles to work in the nursery. We didn't smoke dope. We never cussed in our pulpit. We didn't even allow deacons to cuss. You had to qualify yourself to be a disciple. We carried Bibles to church. We didn't look like we were dressed going to the picnic. We had honor for God. We honored God. We didn't go to church. We went to see the king. We went up to the mountain of the Lord's house. Now let's compare that to the new school. How you dressing? How you talking? How do you sit? How do you stand? What kind of respect do you have for God? See, this is not all about you and me, honey. This is all about God. It's all about God. Okay, then. Uh, uh, I did bring number 210B. Let me just start all over. Will you want to introduce me all over? I have a whole new message that might be more acceptable. I don't know, Pastor Mike. Oh, I'm jabbing at you a little bit. And I understand. I'm not so far removed I don't understand. But let me tell you what I don't understand. I don't understand any of us. 
I don't understand the older generation hanging on to nothing but tradition. But I respect them highly. We've already given up too many traditions. I told our song leader, you know the song you, you, you ended with here? That wasn't written this year or last. That's an old time hymn, not, not Amy's. But. And so I told my song leader, listen, I want you to sing this song. And I don't want you to introduce it as pastors ask us to sing an old hymn this morning. For the old, in other words, for the old people. So don't say anything, just sing it. And while you sing it, I want you to look around and find out that if you don't tell the young people it's old, it still works. Man, even teenagers, tears were coming down their eyes. They started coming to the older over a song that by age, maybe we should have buried it like 150 years ago, but by quality, it still stands. This one pastor called. He said, hey, Brother Barclay, can you help me? I'm in a little bit of trouble here. What's going on, man? I've known him since he was a kid. Now he's a pastor. I said, what's going on? He said, well, you know, uh, the, the elders appointed me to be the pastor of the church. You know, my daddy died and went on, and they want me to be. So I'm the, I'm the pastor, you know, uh, of the church. And I said, well, what? okay, so cool, man. That's awesome. You get your daddy's church. That's pretty powerful. I think that's pretty great that, that number one, people even want you, especially if they watch you grow up. There's still, there's deacons in my church that still have brood shins from my Josh kicking them and my daughter biting them and now they're the pastors of the church. It's like, wow, that, thank God they'll have you, son. <laughs> they remember some stuff, you know. I said, what's the problem? He said, well, you know, I feel like we're losing this modern generation. You're not. I preach every day in churches in America. 50% of every church I go to is under 30. How many of you in here are under 30? Wave at me once I want to say. Wave. We're not losing anybody that wants God. You're looking at the guy that came out of the hippie movement. <laughs> Flower children. You know what our goal was? I wasn't a hippie, but during that time. You know what our goal was? Someone buy a Volkswagen Beetlebug bus that seat six. So we can see if we can get 16 people in there. Because then only one of them gets to smoke dope and we all get high. It's the cheapest dope party in town. Any beetle bug bus going anywhere. They say if you're in the 60s and you remember it, you weren't really there. Because everybody's either messed up or high. I'm grateful that we didn't allow the hippies to change the Bible because most of, anybody, was anybody in here a flower child or a hippie? He, we're, it's over with. We're not judging you. But nobody? Oh, South Dakota had no hippies. We were so cool, man. We wore paisley pants. Bell bottoms. Like bell bottoms? I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad you elders didn't allow us hippies to rewrite the Bible to fit our dope swinging rock and roll singing stuff. You preserved it for us. Because believe it or not, sooner or later, even hippies grow up. You still with me? Keep going? Who said that? I love you. I might split my offering with you. Now, I have a feeling it ain't going to be real big, so don't get real excited about it. You know what I mean? Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't know. Luke 21. Did you find it yet? Yes. I hope so. I've stalled as about as long as I can. Man, you're going back to children's church. I know in this church they still teach the Bible there. Luke 21, so powerful. You know about uh, the day that we live in. You know, we got to... I, I, before we read here, I want to challenge you on something. Uh, don't be afraid to read about the last days. I was in a city preaching, uh, and they had a big billboard out on the freeway that says, God is not angry. And I, I immediately, my mind went to the book of Revelation, 
where God is so angry that he opens up vials in heaven and pours out his wrath on everything. Trees, water, landmass, animals, and humans. Not one of the seven vials are opened in hell. The only reason you don't fall under this wrath is by the blood of Jesus Christ. So I would not be flirting with that. I'd be staying under the canopy if I was you. But don't make a mistake. There's a word we don't hear preached anymore called propitiation. It's in the Bible. It means because of Jesus, God's anger against you and me has been put on hold, not erased. If God erased his anger... He needs to throw away the book of Revelation because that's all it is, is how he's going to deal with the people who are rebellious and, and creation that's gone rebellious that did not do what he said. We can't, I don't want you to live in fear and neither does God, but we have to be alerted. We can't just stumble along like the simpleton. Okay, here, I got to get going because I'm hungry. And I can, uh, and I can tell I can tell that uh, my life here not be much longer if I don't get this to a close. This is a chapter that talks about the things to come. This is a, this, this Luke 21 almost matches like Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is like Jesus saying, okay, false prophets, false teachers, false pastors, false doctrines, you know, in the last of the last days. Hey, it was there also that God said, you can tell when I'm about to come. How can you tell? The disciples said, what's a sign of your coming? He said, well, first of all, I'll come at a time that people don't think I will. That'd be today. We don't hear much preaching on it. We're mocking the rapture. Everybody says, there's no reason to live clean or right or holy or upright. You know, I mean... Now, I remember in 1999 going into the millennial term and all of the talk about this is it. The world is over. The computer clocks don't go beyond 2,000. Planes are going to fall out of the sky. Whole countries are going to shut down. Banking systems are going to go. The computers, oh, it's Bill Gates did not write and his team into windows that, that, we could go beyond this date. It's over. And a lot of the church really did, honest to God, believe that the Lord was coming. I got invited to so many preacher summits. I mean, private ones. And I, I remember them all, but I remember this one. They were going around the table about what they thought was going to happen on, on, on the minute the bell rang and the clock ticked and the ball fell or wherever, you, wherever you're from going into the year 2000. And I'm hearing all these famous, powerful preachers, and I'm thinking, wow, I hope maybe I'm wrong. I mean, this many of them are all saying the same thing. So finally it comes to me, and the host of the meeting says, well, Brother Barclay, you know, Doc, you haven't said anything yet. I said, well, I think I'll just hold mine. It's been a long meeting. No, no, we brought you here to hear what you have to say. I said, I... Well, let me preface it with this. I don't believe a thing you guys are saying. <laughs> but, I, but I love you. I'm not, I'm not your keeper. Maybe I'm dead wrong. But I'm not going to fake that I believe something when I don't see it. So I just thought peacefully I'd hold my peace. We don't want you to hold your peace. That's why you got invited among all these other greats. Oh, okay. I said, well, here's what I think. First of all, I cannot believe for a second that the Lord God Almighty would base all of the climaxes of the ages on a guy like Bill Gates and a glitch in a computer clock. You buy that if you want to. I don't. Secondly, Jesus said, I'll come at a time you think not. Right now, even the pagans are looking up. He's not coming, boys and girls. You better be careful with all your books because about March of 2000, you're all going to look like a bunch of fools when the Lord does not come. And the planes don't fall out of the sky and the banking systems don't close. But right now, darling, almost nobody's looking up. Now, you might be personally, 
Very few even pastors are teaching on the catching away of the church or the end times of what we should look out for. If he really is coming at a time the body of Christ is thinking not about it, we're, we're probably a candidate right now in 18, maybe going into 19. In one way, wouldn't it have been really cool if the Lord would have gave us a date? Wouldn't it be great if we had eight verses that says, he's coming in the year 2019, January 2nd at four in the afternoon. Get ready. Wouldn't that be awesome? Why do you think he didn't? Because you, you, not you, people would live like little oinkers, little piggies, doing anything they want to, knowing I have, I have 24 hours left. You know, it's like a Monday diet. Uh, I have 24 hours left. I'm going to go eat as much fat and sugar as I can on Saturday and Sunday because Monday is Death Valley days. Okay. Now here it talks about, uh, you want to read it with me quick? I know we're almost out of time, so stick with me a minute. Um, let's just pick something up. I don't know. Um, it's such a great chapter. I'll go to 34. And take heed to yourselves. To who? Tell me out loud. To who? Who? Tell me out loud. That's right. Take heed to yourself, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged. The word there also could be intoxicated. With surfeiting. That means carousing, not just to the bar and to the house of ill repute, but even from church to church. Why are you looking for another God when you got one? Why would I be looking for another woman when I have a wife? Why would I be looking for another pastor when I have a pastor? Why are we always surfeiting? Why are we always carousing? Why has there always got to be a new version of the Bible that fits society instead of society fitting the version of the Bible that's delivered and healed everybody? See what I mean? That's what it said. Don't let your... He didn't say it wouldn't happen. He said, don't let your heart be overcharged with it and the cares of this life. And that, that, pay attention, 34. And so that day come upon you unawares. What? For as a snare shall come on all them that dwell in the face of the whole earth. Are you on the earth? Yeah. You qualify. Like a snare. Closed. Caught. My grandpa was a a trapper and a hunter and a, you know, outdoors. And he had this big, I have one now because I tried to explain it to my church family. Unless you were raised this way, you can't picture it. So I had my guys go find me this big bear trap. You know how big a bear is? And this trap, when it's opened, is about this big around. They make little, but... And uh, it takes like three guys to open the jars of that and set the little paddle in the middle. So when the bear comes along and steps in it, wham, it closes so fast he has no chance. Now, I don't do that anymore. I was race trapping. But honestly, no offense to you trappers, but somewhere in there I didn't like the idea that we're trapping an animal and it's dying slowly. If you want to shoot a bear and eat it, go kill it. Okay, I'm off from that. So, uh, but my grandpa took a stick about this big around like a pole, and he said, I just want you four Barclay boys to understand something. And we're standing there, and he took that pole like this, and he barely dropped it. It didn't fall that far, and it hit that little paddle in the middle. That bear trap closed so big and so fast, it snapped that log in two and jumped off the ground about a foot and a half. He said, now you ever get playing with this? Our thought was we couldn't even open that. But if you ever get playing with this, boys, this will take your leg right off. You could bleed to death before me or grandma ever finds you. You leave that stuff alone in my barn. I didn't curse him for warning me. Well, he's just an old guy. He don't get it. Us young guys aren't afraid of bear traps. I didn't judge him for warning me. But this verse says all of us who live on the face of this earth, that includes you and me. This, when this day of the Lord comes, it will come like a snare. And catch even, wait a minute, and catch even Christian unawares. Now we don't know the date and the time, but we're aware. And we live as though he's coming. 
We're ready for his coming. Are you not? Here's another important point before I close up. Verse 36, watch ye therefore and pray always. Pray when? Out loud. Pray when? Watch ye therefore. Watch what? Watch out. Watch what you're saying. Watch what you're doing. Watch where you're going. Watch out. Who are you going with? Watch out. The bridge is out. Watch for his coming. Pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass or one verse says, come down upon this earth and be able to stand before the Son of Man. That's judgment day. I had to send some verses to a preacher friend the other day because I heard him say there's no judgment day for Christians. So I know it probably wasn't really proper, but I had this old Bible that I don't use anymore. I have, I've worn out several of them in my lifetime. So I went and took a razor blade and I cut out part of the book of Corinthians and I folded it and I, and I, uh, and I mailed it to him. And I said, uh, I recommend you take this razor blade that I put in this envelope and you also cut out these pages of Corinthians because obviously you know something God doesn't because God said all Christians are going to the judgment seat of Christ on judgment day, but you're telling the body of Christ there is no judgment day for them. There's six things you need for the day ahead. You better get it. You don't have to get it. I can't force you to get it. You can fall for anything you want. You can believe whatever you want to. It's called free will. But if you want to make it, and many people are already not making it. Many preachers are already not making it. I'm helping four preachers right now. If I said their name, they're so popular and famous, you'd know them all, and they're all about ready to come under indictment, and, and their whole big empire is about to fall. Why, Brother Barkley? They cheated to get the crowd, and now they're going to be bit by the cheat. There are no shortcuts, but there is a devil, and he does call for what you owe him sooner or later. One, I can't preach on these, I'm out of time, but you at least get them. Or if you prefer, go get my book on the things you need for the day ahead, and I'll amplify these for you. I'm not trying to scare you. My duty as a prophet of God is to bring us to, to ground zero and say, this is the reality check. This is where we're really at. Okay, beyond what you might want, believe, hope for, confess, faith for, dream about, you always got to have a reality check. And that's what the prophet of God does. So do with it what you want. One, you're going to have to have more Holy Ghost than you've ever had before. Born of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the armor of God, revelations, manifestations, illuminations, demonstrations, dreams, visions, and trances. That's the communication language of God. And that is my alarm. which I set myself, because if I don't, I'll be longer than my friend Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> he has an alarm too. You ever hear his alarm? Means nothing. <laughs> but then again, all he's saying is good stuff, so why not? So uh, I set this so it lets me know you're done, boy, because your pastor is so polite, he won't point his finger at me. Now, Miss Vicky might, so I've been ignoring looking at her. <laughs> I, I look at you, and then I kind of bump over that front. <laughs> Let me get this in so you at least have it on the recording. One, seriously, you don't throw out the Holy Spirit. Don't throw him out of your life. Yeah. Don't throw him out of your, uh, your friendships. Don't throw him. You need the gifts of the Spirit. Yeah. You need the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. And, and you're going to need, I'm telling you, you're going to need more Holy Ghost than you've ever had before. Enough on that. Number two, you're going to need to hang on to a preacher 
or have a preacher if you don't have one that's not afraid of you. You need to pray for the leadership of this church, not just Pastor Mike, but the other ones that he appoints to have voice here, that they're as bold as a lion. You don't need a hireling, folks. You don't need a hireling. You, you, don't, need to, you don't need to use your money, influence, kindness, threat to not tithe, threat to lead the church, to steer a preacher to scratch your itch. Scratch your own itch. You need a preacher to look you in the face and say, thus saith the word of God. Amen. And thank him for it. Or her. You're going to need a preacher. Because without a good Bible preacher, teacher, then you end up having a mixture of scripture and philosophy. One of the biggest universities in America just did a study on the church. And they, they calculated that 70% of all American, there are other countries, but talking about us, 70% of all American preachers now are philosophers. They go by how they think it should be said and done rather than what the Bible says. You don't need that. You got your own ideas. You got your own opinions. You, you need a preacher that when you come in here, he pops the pebble out of your hoof so spiritually you quit limping and you heal up. A good preacher is the best pebble popper in town. Better than drugs, better than psychology, better than philosophy. That's what you got to have. A good church service is like going to the chiropractor. I went there a couple of times. You sat out front. It's not your turn yet. And you hear in the back room, Ah! And then finally this guy comes out, my God, I needed that. Now, wait till you get, you're never going to be the same. <laughs> really? So my first time I ever went to Dr. So-and-so, I said, let me help you something. If you make me noises like that guy made noises, I will hurt you and you'll need a chiropractor. <laughs> the old saying, okay, Reverend, but no pain, no gain. A good church service is when you come in here and you get refocused and you get realigned and your brain get washed from its pollutants and contaminants from the water of the word of God and we deal with flesh and we deal with pride and we deal with hurt and we deal with what I want, we deal with what you want and we all end up going home realizing what God wants. Amen. That's good preaching. Do you know the name Lester Sumrall? So, you know, your pastors knew him. He was one of my dads. And uh, some people say, well, you kind of sound like him. But that's okay. He's my dad, and I'm not ashamed of anything about it. But Brother Summerall called me one day, and he said, Mark, when you preach, do, uh, do people ever say amen? Mm, yeah, Brother Summerall, sometimes. Do they get dead quiet and stare at you? I said, more than the other time. <laughs> he said, do they ever, uh, do people ever look mad? Do they ever get mad when you preach? I said, yeah. Do they ever laugh? Yeah, sometimes. He gets all the way down. He says, do they love you? I said, some of them. Do some of them want to hurt you? I said, I think so. He said, that's good preaching, son. Don't give that up. <laughs> Don't give that up, man. That's good preaching. I was a baby. I was a baby preacher. I said, what? He said, uh, you don't know who's in that room, but God's going to mess with their emotions. They're going to laugh and cry and be happy and love you and hate you and go through all this gamut, but the who cares? He'd say, Mark, you're not the deal. Jesus is the deal. Who cares if they like you as long as they go out and chase him? Isn't that good fathering? All right, what number am I on? Wow, and I only have 21 of these. <laughs> Three, you're going to have to have church, church, and more church. Say it, church. church, and more church. Why? Word of faith is released from church because the preacher's there. Faith is that, the Bible says, faith is what overcomes the world. You notice carnal Christians are not overcomers. Natural Christians are not overcomers. They can't hardly beat anything. They live in depression, most of them. They're medicating themselves with something, gossip, worry, booze, drugs, something. But they're not overcomers. 
the Bible clearly says, this is the victory that overcomes this world, even our faith, which comes by hearing and hearing from the word of God, which means you've got to come to church and submit your soul to hear the word of God. Now, if you came here, now I'm, I preached uh, probably about an hour here. I'm about to sit down, honestly. But how long do you usually preach, Pastor Mike, just given 45 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour? What's the longest you preached? Not like the longest sermon you ever preached, but 45 minutes maybe? Have you ever preached 45 minutes? Absolutely. So if you come here once a week. Vicky's longer. Vicky's longer? <laughs> she's got more to say. How long do you preach? I know, but the ushers always ask me for the last three pages of my notes. <laughs> I see. Yes. I understand now. And I kind of feel, I'm feeling a little weak like I should have never brought this up. <laughs> if you come here once a week, because some of you don't make midweek. In fact, some of you will be taught not that midweek doesn't count. Who needs more Bible? Who needs more altar? Who needs more singing? After all, we're busy people. So 45 minutes, you come once a week, you listen to the word of God for, in case you've been misled by your flesh, this is the only part of the service that's for you. Prayers and alms are offered to God. Worship and praise is not about you and me, it's offered to God. The highs and offerings were given to God to do his work. The only time of the church service that God meant for you it's what we've been doing for 60 minutes. And I'm stretching that being a guest speaker because I don't even do 60 minutes at my own church most of the time. This is your time. So if you come here once a week only and you hear one of them for 45 minutes, but you know how it is, man. Did your mind stay focused? Did any of you get a text? Did you wonder why it was vibrating, banging, bonging, and, and, and tickling you? Your phone, I mean. Did you drift? Did you, have you already chose what restaurant you're going to and what's on the menu? You know? Because uh, I have and I'm preaching. <laughs> We're not faking it, guys. This is what happens. And, and, and so now you're, let's just say he preaches for 45 minutes and you get 30 of it. There, and then because he says something and he's supposed to that rings your bell, now all you can hear is your bell ringing. I think he's right. I got to deal with that. Why, why is he picking on me? Why do you look at me when he said that? Well, I do have that problem, but you know, he didn't have to point it out to everybody as if we called you by name. So now we're down to 20 minutes. That's it? You want to win the battle against filth and a pussy society and lying heretic preachers and watered down church and you're only going to come and submit your brain for a 20-minute bath? No wonder we're not overcomers, but we're supposed to be. You can confess I'm an overcomer all you want to, but it's going to take church to make you that. <sighs> Number four, you're going to need more Bible than you've ever had before. Say it, word, word, and more word. Out loud, let me hear it. Word, word, read it, study it, bring it with you, pay attention when they speak. When they look up a verse, you look up a verse. When they give you a point, you either get it down in your electronic device, get it down and you know, this is some of the best advice I can give you. You might think I'm correcting you, but I, my heart is to advise you that you can do something and not keep getting weaker and weaker and weaker and therefore have no repellency against all this stuff that's hurting so many people. Amen. When's the last time you memorized a Bible verse? How many have you memorized this year? I would challenge you to memorize a verse in December and then one a month next year. Do it as a family, it's fun. Do it as a church, this is our verse of the month. Do it as a men's group. But that's only 12 verses a year. What if California law passes? What if it spreads to South Dakota? You can say, oh, that never happened. That's what they said about gay marriage. 
That's what they said about abortion, and we're past 60 million babies. Take religion out of it. How, what kind of people kill babies in their own women's wombs? By the 60 million word. Don't say it will never come here. Say I'm going to prepare myself in case it ever did come here. Oh, I'm going to fight it and repel it. So I'm challenging you. You better get a hold of this. And you better quit listening to all the preachers that tell you not to read the Old Testament and not to read. You read everything. If you've got to read the book of maps. Get it all down. Cram it in you. And know it and live it. Five. Oh, I should email these next two ones to you. Because I don't want you to hurt me. You're going to have to live a fasted life. You got to get your flesh, just like I do. You got to get your flesh under control. You can't go by your appetites, your wants, your lusts, though, and what you think. Well, that's not how I see it. Who cares? You don't really care how I see it. I'm leaving town. I don't really care how you see it. You're not God. Don't, don't you think may well look in the Bible and get God's opinion on some of this stuff? So how I see it and how you see it and how I interpret it and how you interpret it and, you know, it, it don't mean much. But if you could find out what God's got to say about it and live a fasted life, please get your appetites under control, get your flesh under control, get your hurts under control, get your disappointments under control, get your mouth under control. Fast doesn't mean just give up food. I was raised, a, my family were drinkers. I was declared an alcoholic by our family doctor at uh, 12 years old. And uh, I, I never wanted it. It just, it just happened to me. That's a longer story. It's in my book if you care. You, you might care because maybe it'll help you get, help someone get rid of the idea that alcohol is not an enemy as as dumb as letting a rapist live in the bedroom next to your daughter who hasn't been raped yet. Don't fool yourself. And so I went to this church like yours. I hope this church never changes. This church is so powerful. This church saves people and it delivers people and it heals me. I'm thinking of Jeff who was up here who I love this guy that you heard from and to his story, and how this church and the stability of this church with nothing watered down, totally renovated a shipwreck and made him a champion and a giant slayer. That's my story. Amen. So, I wanted to beat this alcohol, Mike, and I couldn't. The Marines didn't help me. So I went to this Pentecostal church, you know my story. We had a little lady there, Vicki, called Sister Pentecost. That's what we called her. We called her Sister Pentecost because I think she was so old, I think some of us thought she was really there. But when Sister Pentecost prayed for you, she had a hold of both ears. I had a Marine Corps haircut. That means you didn't have any hair. I mean, the roots are there, but good luck hunting. She could get my ears, man, and part of my hair, a Marine Corps haircut. And when she prayed for you, I don't know if all those demons were in there or not, but she sure knew them by first names. <laughs> so I'm trying to get free from alcohol. So one day at church, Sister Pentecost comes, she's just a little squirt. She come up to me and she said, how you doing on that booze, sonny boy? I said, well, uh, pause a minute. You know, I've, I've come out of a lot of stuff to walk with God. But one of my weaknesses has never been a false evaluation of myself. And even to this day, I know Mark Barclay. I know his strengths. I know his weaknesses. I know what makes me angry. I know I, I, that's not one of my weaknesses. I judge myself and I know myself. And I deal with myself. And I think every Christian probably does that, but I do. So when she said, how are you doing, sonny boy? Even though I'm a baby Christian, I didn't put on nothing. I said, well, ma'am, I'll tell you, uh, I, I'm still drinking and I don't want to and I'm tired of it, but I can't seem to beat it. Well, what are you doing about it? Well, the elders told me, uh, you know, to, to fast and pray and they gave me some verses to fast and pray. So I've been fasting and praying. 
The fasted life, they said, will break the power of that thing. Sister Pentecost. Well, what is it you're fasting? Well, you know, staple food in those days, hamburger, french fries, little pizza. Food, <laughs> Sister Pentecost. All you are is a hungry drunk. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Finally, someone in this church is making good sense to me. I'm starved. But I don't, but somehow I'm still drinking, you know, Budweiser or whatever. She said, uh, is it hamburgers you want to get delivered from? No, I could eat the whole sign at McDonald's right now. She go, well, then why are you fasting hamburgers? Don't you want to get rid of booze? Yeah. Why don't you try fasting that? never thought of that. I never thought of that. So my story is, I overcome that wicked enemy when Sister Pentecost said, fast it, son, even if you can do it for one day. You come back the next day and you drink again, you don't beat yourself. You're not the devil. You don't accuse yourself. You repent and pick another day this week and fast again. One day you'll go to two days. One day you'll go to three days. One day you'll go to a month. Mm -hmm. yeah. 1972, 1970, somewhere in there. Uh, I went on a fast. It had been a little later than that, five or something, 75. Went on a fast. And uh, I put Johnny Walker in my refrigerator. Johnny Walker, red label, scotch is what I was addicted to. So half a bottle, I put it in the fridge. Everybody said, you get that out of your house. No. Nope. I'm going to open that refrigerator there and curse him every day. And I did. I never touched it. And one day I called all the family and I said, someone is about to die. You better get over to my place. And of course they come running because they knew I wasn't fixed yet. So uh, I took Johnny Walker out, put him in the sink, took a hammer. And I humbly admit before all I killed him. I literally killed Johnny my longtime friend. I murdered him. And then I threw him down the garbage disposal. Amen. Do not do that. <laughs> do not do that. Only a Marine could be that dumb. You know, a jarhead. And I turned on that switch. Oh, my Lord. Glass shrapnel flew everywhere. But when we were done, you couldn't find nothing but a little piece of Johnny everywhere. Amen. And I told my family that was his funeral. Him and I will never be friends again. And we never have. Some of you are being limited and you can't get victory because maybe you're either not fasting, you're not paying the price to put your flesh under and your appetites. You know, some of you can't get delivered from gossip. You try. It's the most rampant sin in the body of Christ, slander. Look at the social sites that even Christians are posting things that are so pussy and dirty and nasty and, and against Christ. And you can't get free from it. But you could if you fasted it. And that's what I'm saying. If you want to beat the darkness of the day, you can't sit around and suck your thumb and wish. You got to fast. And the last one, let me walk towards the door. <laughs> and put my back towards the door. Because, you know, natives can throw spears and fiery darts, you know. Now, this is a big one. And I know I apologize for going over time. I know better, but... Um, don't encourage me in my sin. <laughs> Who was that? Cast him out. And me with him. And you're buying lunch because you got us thrown out. Praise God. Um, this is a big one, honestly. You're going to have to. You don't have to do it if you don't care about staying depressed and discouraged and living in the gray zone and being broke and, and, and nothing working for you and everything you sow into falls apart and, and you believe this and that, but you don't live it. And that's how a lot of Christians are living, totally defeated or partially defeated. What if you could find a way? What if I could find a way to obey God, to live an obedient life to that book? If that book says, pray, you pray. If the Bible says pray not so you consume it with your own lust, 
And what if we learn to pray that way? The book in Hebrews, New Testament, says to tithe. What if we tithe without excuse and tithe the way God said to tithe and tithe where God said to tithe? What if we were that obedient? What if the Lord said, watch your mouth? And we literally worked on watching our mouth. What if the Lord, and he did. What if the Lord said, gossipers gossip about gossipers, which he did say. And what if we were obedient to that and said, I'll never gossip again. What if, what if you could live an obedient life? God said, assemble yourself together and so much the more. But the modernists say so much the less. What do you need church for? We're all tired. We're all busy. Well, that's probably true if all you got is church. But if you're coming to see the king and you're coming to meet the healer and you're coming to get delivered and you're raising your babies in light instead of darkness, probably two services a week is not enough. It's not enough. That's like having a killer disease that's going to take your life. The doctor says you need two doses, and you say, no, I'm going to take a half a dose every week. And uh, then your wife comes to a guy like me and says, how can we plan his funeral? The doctor told him, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't obey. What if we obeyed? What if you could live a life of obedience? I'm telling you, there are other things, but if you and I could master these six simple things, you would be an overcomer and not just talk about being one. Amen. Raise your hands to me, Father. Thank you for the time I was given to speak and thank you that these gracious believers and the bangs allowed me to go over a little bit or at least tolerated me going over a little bit. Thank you. What I witnessed, my Lord, in this building last night, oh, that was worth the flight. That was worth everything. That was so anointed, Lord. They ministered so much to us. And what we have in here today this powerful worship and praise, this clean. When I come here, I feel clean. Nobody's perfect. There are no perfect churches because people attend. People are here. But it's so clean in this house. It's so stable here. May it stay that way and be our last day's ark of safety. That's what I pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Give the Lord a good hand clap. Come on. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.